Let's get into this word for today. Let's get into it from last week. We've been studying the book of Acts for several weeks now, trying to figure out how to really live, how people in the Bible lived in the New Testament, the acts of the saints. When we're called to be royal priests, we don't really know what that means besides going to church. And the book of Acts, it records the acts of the saints, the earliest believers, but we don't believe most of us that we're supposed to live the way they lived here. Somehow in our modern Christian minds, we've twisted it around to think that we have to live something like this, but not exactly like this, as if there was another new New Testament. As if God somehow said, you know what, they'll figure it out. Hello, somebody. And so we say things in our minds like, you know, well, back in the day, people got married young, so this is all right if I fornicate. We don't really like to admit that's what we thought. Hello, somebody. That those are the kind of things that we take the word of God and we can't really fathom how he expects us to live the way they lived. So we assume that he never wanted us to live like the New Testament. This assumption has been generational. A lot of people are just now noticing in the millennial age the disparity amongst young people wanting to come to church. And they think that this is somehow because we haven't reached the millennials, not recognizing that this has been going on for generations. I can prove it to you. The generation before us, they didn't have what, it, what was needed either. They didn't have the keys that were necessary because the generation before you recognized as long as you go to church and try to live morally acceptable lives, hello, then you'll be all right. That's because going to church was a societal and a cultural norm. In America, going to church was a societal and a social norm. So we allowed society to raise us generation after generation until recently society is no longer in favor of church. And now we're noticing that there is a complete separation between who's going to church and who isn't. But the world has been raising our kids for many generations. Where as long as you just went to church on Sunday and tried to be somewhat moral, that's Christianity. The Bible indicates that is not Christianity. That is belief in Jesus. And it goes on to say that even demons believe in Jesus and they're not going to heaven. The New Testament makes a stark difference between Christianity and believing in God. But for generations, we have not embraced this difference and just relegated to just doing social norms and cultural norms. Hello? That's pretty much it. And so now that the world and the culture is against the church, we're noticing so many people don't want to go to church. But this has not just started. This is because the culture has been raising Christians for far too long. Rather than the Bible. Hello? I, I, I'm, I'm already preaching. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Okay? Left off last week on part nine, the Acts of the Saints. We subtitled it, Why You Have to Get Up. Why you have to get up. Hello, somebody. Why you have to get up. So we did two reasons. For some of you, if you were stuck, 
why you couldn't stay stuck. And for those of you that aren't stuck, but one day you will be stuck because we all will. That you can file these away. I told you to favorite them in your podcast so that you could always have access to this on those days where you just don't feel like getting up in life. Where you want to settle and stay in this funk, in this depression, in this sin, in this sadness, in this lethargy for far too long. And you just don't want to deal with it. I told you, save this message. So on last week, we looked at the first two reasons why you have to get up. The first one was, according to Acts chapter 9, people will come back to God because you got up. And we discussed that there are people that are, you know, in your life and around you that are distant from the Father, that when they see you get up through all you've been through, through all your mistakes, through all your missteps, through all the pain and the heartache, when they see you get up, they're going to come back to God. Acts 9 shows that they all turn to the Lord. The second reason on last week we discussed that you have to get up, you must get up, thank you so much, is your work is not done. And as we saw with Tabitha, someone is here to help you get up. So often you're so used to helping other people that when you're down, no one knows what to do. So you stay down. But when the disciples come along under the anointing of God and God says you have to get up, they are thus designed to help you up. And there's a process of you getting up. This is for those of us who are doing what God has told us to do, walking in the areas that God has told us to walk in, but somehow we're stuck. And so God sends helpers, servants, ministers to assist you in getting up, and it's a process. It doesn't happen instantly. First your eyes are open, then you sit up, then you're taken by the hand and you are led up. It's a process. And this is for those of us that find ourselves doing the things that we're supposed to do, walking in we're supposed to do, and then something happens that we're outside of our control and now we're down. So you have to get up because someone has been sent to help you up. Don't leave me out here with my hand just sitting here looking stupid. Anybody ever got left hanging with a high five? Don't you feel stupid? You will chase somebody down. Hey, 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 You feel stupid Have your hand up waiting to join with somebody in there. And you know you feel stupid. So if somebody's here to help you in the process of getting up, don't leave their hand out here looking dumb, looking stupid. Some of y'all have left my hand out here as your pastor looking dumb and stupid. I'm like, hey, you want to hang out? Hey, you want to come by? Hey, you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Ain't going to show up next Sunday like everything was fine. Hey, pastor. Hey, no, I don't be petty. I'm like, you owe me a high five. <laughs> uh-uh, I still want it. <laughs> Today we're going to pick up from there and give you two more reasons why you have to get up. That's also going to take us to part 10, which I'm going to subtitle part 10. So we're going to give you two more reasons why you have to get up. These two reasons highlight, all right, they segue us right into part 10. And part 10, if I had to subtitle anything, it would be subtitled, The Making of a Hero. Y'all so crazy. 
the making of a hero. So let's first look at some of the ideas and concepts of why you have to get up. The last two reasons in Acts 10, chapter, thir- verse, chapter 10, verse 13. In Acts chapter 10, verse 13. Starting at verse 9, Peter is on the scene here. We've moved from Saul and the story of Saul and Paul. Uh, Saul, who was later named, was changed to Paul after he was blinded and then became a disciple of Christ. Um, he had to be pure persecuted, the Jews that were Christians, uh, killed them, was uh, a, a vivid actor and player. And Stephen, as a martyr, his, his crucifixion. So in Acts chapter 10, verses 9, Peter shows up, and it's hard to understand why the, the storyline switches from Paul and Saul to Peter out of nowhere. But when you pull back from it, you can understand how these two stories are interconnected. But you have to get all the way to the end of Acts to know it. Uh, but right now, the story switches in the mid-chapter from Paul to Peter. And it discussed some of the acts of Peter. And one of them was Peter was summoned by some believers, um, as we discussed on last week, to raise a woman up from the dead named Tabitha. Now, this is the first time one of these apostles has raised somebody up from the dead since Christ has ascended. This is a big deal. So what you're recognizing here is that the same power that was with Jesus is now with his apostles. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> All right. So this man must have been something. And he must have been so much of something that whatever he is is in his followers. And his followers are doing the same miraculous stuff that he was doing even though he's not here. Ooh. All right. This, this was, this was this is eye-opening to everyone. All right. So at some point, Peter moves from there and he, and he uh, goes on to, to a, a day's journey. I think he went to a housetop in Caesarea. No, in Joppa. He went to Joppa and he had a vision while he was hungry. He was up on the top of the house praying and then he got really hungry, like unusually hungry. And as he was just so hungry, he fell into a trance. And in the trance, he saw this basket sheet come down and it had all these creatures and animals and birds in it and when we get to verse 13 a voice says to him rise Peter kill and eat it but Peter said not so Lord I have never eaten anything common or unclean verse 15 says and a voice spoke to him the second time what God has cleansed you must not call common this was done three times and the object was taken into heaven again okay so just to shorten this storyline a little bit because there's some other stuff i want to get to today (laughs) um what ends up happening is peter starts contemplating what this vision could mean and he has no idea and he is as if he said i've never eaten any unclean animal i am a good jew and now a good Christian and you trying to my hunger is playing tricks on me it's trying to it's trying to bewiffle me and, and make me want to make me want to do things I ain't supposed to be doing right and God says no Peter whatever it is I have cleaned you cannot call it unclean Peter couldn't figure out what this meant he never rose and killed the animal or ate it this conversation this debate went back and forth three times until it was over now, meanwhile, there was a, a, a centurion soldier in Caesarea. And a centurion soldier, it, he was a Roman soldier uh, pretty much in, in Italy, okay? And he was uh, a, a soldier over 
100 people, hence centurion, okay, century, okay. So he was a, a, a ruler over 100 soldiers in his own command. And he was a follower of God even though he was not Jewish. He honored God. He prayed. He gave alms. That means he gave to the temple even though he couldn't go in. He raised everybody in his house to really be God-fearing. We would call them very spiritual. He's one of them people that's talking about the universe all the time. You know, the universe, you know, I don't know about God. I know it's some force, some benevolent force that has some sovereignty that you have to obey and, and, and know and get to know in your life's journey. He was a spiritual person that understood there was a God but did not get bogged down in the details of who that God was. All right? A lot of people live like that, right? So uh, God came to him, an angel of the Lord, showed up at his doorstep <laughs> not really doorstep, but in his home, in his time of prayer, and told him, I want you to send some men down to Joppa. And in the house of Peter the Tanner, you're going to find another man named Simon Peter. And I want you to tell him that you, he needs to come and tell you some things. So send three men to, this is what the angel of the Lord told him. Send three men. Now the fact that there's an angel of the Lord, I'm already spooked. All right, bright light, white, and you talking to me? And then you give me some instructions that are so detailed that I, I must be losing my mind. You want me to send three of my men down to Joppa to go to a man named Peter's house who's a tanner. That means he deals with flesh hides, all right, and leather, that type of thing, all right. Go to his house and look for another man named Peter, but his surname is Simon. So look for Simon Peter. And then when they find Simon Peter, tell Simon Peter to come back here. And when Simon Peter gets here, he'll tell me everything I need to know. Yes. Since I ain't never seen nothing like this before in my life, <laughs> might as well go with it. So he does. He sends three men down to Joppa to go look for Simon Peter. All right? And they find Simon the Tanner's house. Now that's, that's check number one. I went to where you told me to go. And where you told me to go, I found what it was I was supposed to find. Check. And then in the thing that I was supposed to find, in the place I was supposed to find, I find the individual I was supposed to find. Check. You can imagine if you one of them three servants was like, now, is there a Simon Peter here? Well, as a matter of fact, there is. <laughs> Very suspicious. What I love about the Bible that you don't find in any other religions that offer that their God has creative power is that the Bible tells not stories, but accounts. In other religions, when their God claims to be creator, it's a story that has been passed down, not an account of an actual person who had an actual encounter with an actual angel or God himself or the actual event. Y'all just need to know that off the top, okay? Because sometimes y'all be comparing all these religions that say they serve God and you really, don't really, you don't really study it to know they have stories, not people that actually have historical accounts. 
From you know, the Bible has been traced from the day of Adam every single generation. This is why they don't want you to believe in creationism, but they want you to believe in evolution because evolution makes this time span so confusing that the Bible can't be real. But the Bible and the Jewish people have recorded every single generation of family members since Adam from the very beginning. And they don't want you to know that because it would give too much validity to the actual word of God, not being a myth, but an account generation after generation after generation of people that were alive that bore witness versus somebody retelling an old tale that their ancestors told them the bible is unique in that way and sometimes we don't study it to know how unique it is but it is hello the bible is different and i just want to throw that out there because sometimes we try to make it the same and it's not we like to have relative truth, and it's not. And you are believers, and you're believers of the faith that is real. It is true. And it has more factual substance than any other historical document on the face of the earth. More copies of its text exist than any other ancient text ever. And they are accurate. God chose the people of Israel to maintain this record for a reason, because that was something they'd be very good at if they weren't good at nothing else. They're going to keep them records. So they get to Simon the Tanner's house, and Simon the Peter is in the house. Now, at this time, Simon Peter is upstairs still just contemplating what this vision meant. And while he's up there contemplating, the Holy Spirit puts it on his heart and says, you know what? There's three men downstairs looking for you. You need to go with them. What? There's three men downstairs looking for you. <laughs> go with them. Hello? So the first reason, the second, or I should say, the third reason why you can't stay down, you have to get up, is because your hesitancy reveals what you've missed with God. Most times you're stuck and you don't want to get up and you're hesitant to get up because this hesitation is revealing what you have missed in learning about God. You got a whole bunch of pieces together, but you keep putting these pieces in the wrong spot and your picture ain't coming clear. Hello, somebody. Anybody ever done a puzzle before? Yeah. I went through a phase where all I did was puzzling last year when mommy passed and I was, all I could do is puzzle, just puzzle, puzzle, puzzle. And you would get to a point where you, you know this piece goes in a general area, but all the areas you try, it doesn't fit. Hello, somebody. And you turned it all with your ways, and it still doesn't fit. You done twisted it all around, and it still doesn't fit. And they'd be like, well, go on to the next piece. I can't go on to the next piece because everything relies on me doing this one thing. And I know that this piece has to go here. And if it doesn't go here, then something is wrong. And some of us get stuck because there's something we missed about God. And nothing else seems to fit. Nothing else seems to work. Nothing else goes no further in your life. The cycles keep happening, and you try to figure out why does this keep happening over and over and over? What new thing do I have to do? No, what new retreat do I got to go to? What new conference do I have to go to? Because it just doesn't seem like I can move or progress past this point. And what I often find is when that happens, this piece that doesn't fit has revealed to me that I put another piece somewhere it don't belong. 
in my cockiness, hello somebody, I just plopped that piece right there and it looked about right and I didn't even think nothing about it. Went on building the rest of the puzzle, now I got this one piece that does not fit anywhere. And this piece shows me what I missed. This thing that you're holding, that's the problem, isn't the problem. The part you can't get past, the parts you're stuck at, isn't the real issue. The issue is somewhere before this. And you can't go no further. Hello, somebody. I'm preaching better y'all acting today. I just, I'll just stay up here. So, and the story was Simon Peter and, and Cornelius, I think his name was. Cornelius, this man, this centurion soldier who set these three guys down. God tells him something unique. He says, I want you to go with them because there's something about me you don't, you've missed. Now, the whole vision indicated that when it comes to God, whatever he calls clean is clean. Now, with Simon Peter and every Jew, what they assumed that when God said something was clean or unclean, that that was done as a form of classification. Like, if you need to forever know that this is unclean and that this is clean so that you could always be clean. That was the assumption. I'll do it again. This is wrong. I'm going to show you why. I'm going to do it again, okay? See, again, this is something that Peter missed also. The assumption for Jewish people was God in the book of Moses and with Moses and the law that he established what was clean and unclean and it would forever be clean and unclean so that they would only participate in the clean and thus be clean themselves and not participate in the unclean. Now, what is wrong with this is that eating clean things did not make you clean. Eating clean things didn't make you clean, baby. Because the law had no way to perfect the saint. Come on, somebody. No, the law couldn't do it. The law could not perfect it. The law could not make you righteous. The law could not make you right. Sit on down. Let me get everybody to where we are. Okay? But intuitively, when we start wanting to be independent of God, we need to know the list of what we can do and what we can't do. So that if I only do what I'm supposed to do, then everything in my life will be right. And if I do everything I'm supposed to do rightly, then everything will happen rightly for me. Sound familiar? Same concept, right? What Peter didn't recognize is that's not what God was doing. So then God brings down a basket full of unclean animals when Peter is hungry and tells him, Peter, eat. And he's like, now, I ain't never ate nothing unclean. And I'm not going to let my hunger get me to eat anything unclean. So no, no, God, I will not. And most of us will say that. We will say it because we felt that righteousness was found in the law. Hello, somebody. Now, the Old Testament makes it very plain that what made them righteous was not that they kept the law. What made them righteous was their faith. 
Now their faith was accounted to them as righteousness. It was not how well they did the law, but the fact that they believed the law came from God was accounted to them as righteousness, whether they kept it or not. Because they would sin, and then they would go and sacrifice a lamb. Do you really think that lamb could cover the sin? No, but the fact that you believe that God gave you that instruction and you left that business up to him. So thus, he cleansed and cleansed whatever he wanted to cleanse. So then God comes to say, let's, now let's make this lesson full circle, Peter. Eat, you can eat this. Uh-uh, that's unclean. Who said? You. So if I say it's unclean, and then I clean it and give it to you, what is it now, Peter? Huh? If I said it was unclean, I'm the one that determines unclean. And then I clean it and give it to you. What is it now, Peter? It's clean. This was hard because I assumed that my right relationship was bearing on how well I did the things you wanted me to do and didn't want to do. I did not recognize until this moment that my right relationship with you was based on what you called right. What you called right. It's based on what you called right. Now this is, and he still didn't get it. So uh, Cornelius' men show up. And this is m- number two as to why you have to move forward. All right? You got to get up. You can't stay. It's you have to move forward, and that will now look different. You can't stay, you gotta get up because where you're going is going to look different. And for somebody, you need to rejoice because where you're going is going to look, y'all don't wanna help me today. Most of what Satan has discouraged you with is the idea that when God does it, it's gonna be more of the same. Y'all don't wanna, he's all, Satan, I'll say it again. Most of you Satan has discouraged because he's made you believe that when God does it, it's gonna be more of the same, more of the same struggle, more of the same problem, more of the same issue. And so you've already believed his lie that you're gonna have the continuation of the same problem. Y'all better wake up because I feel the presence of the Lord in this house. Um, and, and, and you don't want you, you, me. <laughs> I ain't even going to, I'm not even going to beseech you. I'm just going to talk to one person. If it's your one person, Lord, we'll take that one. The rest of these people, let them sleep. Let them sleep their lives away, Lord. If that's what they want to do, I mean, you can't do nothing more than what you done did, all right? Satan's convinced you that when God does move, that he'll move, but you'll still have to deal with this. It'll still be the thorn in your flesh. It'll still be your struggle. It'll still be your Achilles heel. It'll still be your weakness. That you'll be in the same spot, just your insides will feel a little bit better about the situation. And you've got to get up from there because that's not true. You've got to get up because where you're going, you have never seen anything like this before. It will look different to the point that God has to come and then tell 
Simon Peter, these three men, I want you to go with them and I want you to doubt nothing. And that's just everything about what you get ready to experience and see is going to look uniquely different. Hello, somebody. And Satan is trying to convince you that you're going to always deal with this. We just have to have a better attitude about it. Huh? Hello? So it's, it's going to be so different that God had to tell him, go with them and doubt nothing. Do you know what this will do to you? You want me to go with these three random people? Hello, somebody. These Italians, these Romans, these non-Jews, these unclean, I'm getting there, people. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Who we're not supposed to have any dealings with. It's against Jewish law for me to even go with them. And you want me to go with them. And I want you to doubt nothing. <laughs> You want to talk about how Christians are supposed to live. Y'all doubt everything. The presence of God could come in like thunder. He could move in such a miraculous way and show you that these little things had to be adjusted here, here, and here, here, and here, and here, and here. And you'd be like, oh my God, that was God, and still doubt the next step. I know it because I pastor you. And I'd be like, well, it didn't. Didn't God do this? Yes. And, and who did that? God. And who did that? God. So why don't you do this? Mm. Well, why don't you go ahead and just do this? Just, just go for it. Oh. And there's a hesitation on the inside. But how New Testament says walked is when God started giving you check boxes of everything that he said started happening. Hello, somebody. Go to this place, check. And then when you go to this place, you'll find this, check. You'll feel this, check. And this one, it's going to look like it didn't work out. Oh, it worked out, check. And now let's do this. this. This seems odd. So you have to get up because where you're going won't look like where you've been. And if you don't get up, you'll never know it. And some people stay in church stuck their entire lives. Look, they stay in church stuck their entire lives, never progressing to what real Christianity is, always stuck with some ceiling of sin and repentance forever and ever and ever until they get too old to sin. Until stuff start falling off. Until, until whatever they used to could do, they can't do no more. Not because of their heart, but because of situationally it just don't work. But never, nothing really got rid of that iniquitous heart. Circumstances just changed so you couldn't actually manifest the iniquity into sin. Hello, somebody. But you never went to, the, to follow the Lord in such a way where it changed your heart. You know, 68% of Christians or people or church, church goers, I should say, polled, associated the word bored with Christianity. Don't look shocked. Some of y'all said it's boring. <laughs> it said that being a Christian is boring. 
And if you didn't say being a Christian is boring, you said to me flat out that living like this is boring. I just go to work, go to church, take care of my family, and that's it. Don't do nothing. I mean, I do stuff. But the stuff I do, you don't find interesting because it's sinless. The stuff I do, you can't escape from your problems. I find joy in attacking your problems. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Hello? But a lot of Christians find Christianity and associate the word bored with Christianity. What is more problematic is that Christians and churchgoers also think that Christianity is boring. And some of you inadvertently have this knee-jerk reaction to add drama to your lives because you feel bored. You've got to call up this old boy and this old girl that never meant you no good. And you got to bring up all these old feelings. And then you got you to you not pay your bills to the last minute. And then you got to have a drama about how you spent the money and now you procrastinated. And you just got to keep influencing and adding drama to your life because actually doing the right thing is boring. You know that if you buy this, that bill is not going to be paid. So what do you do? Buy it. And then you come to the end of the month after you done pushed it back and pushed it back. Now you want to go, oh, God. Oh, pastor. Oh, God. I need, oh, I need a financial blessing. Oh, God. Oh, pastor. And now we got to have a prayer circle and an intervention financially. So you could add some drama to your boring life. This person nearly destroyed your life, almost destroyed your faith, and you can't hear. I just feel like I need to call them. I just feel like I need to talk to and just see. I just feel like I need closure. I just feel like I need to see what's, I didn't need to explore this. Because you need to add drama to your boring Christian life. Hello? I just feel like we should go out and get lit, turn up. Hello, somebody. Now, the last time you drunk, you done showed up with babies. The last time you smoked, you done showed up hung, hung over. You came to church on Sunday, feeling some sort of way in the presence of God. But you need this drama. Because living a Christian life is boring to you. So you got to find, well, you know, I'm going to just hit him up, see if he got some money for me, you know, Drama. Well, I just want to know if he be thinking about, I just want to know if she be thinking about drama. Well, I just feel like I need somebody in my drama. Well, you know, I'm only going to do this for a little bit of drama. Well, you know, I'm going to call them and tell them I push that back drama. Well, you know, I'm not even going to go to work today. I just don't feel like it drama. You are adding drama unnecessarily to your life. Drama. Drama. You got to add drama. You can't add drama to your life. But this is what happens, ain't it? You put yourself in a tizzy, and you need the presence of the Lord to come calm you down from the drama you created. Now, you don't complain when the Lord come do this to you. You don't complain when he come stop everything that's going on and soothe you from the mess you done made. I don't see nobody complaining in. You cry loud, you don't care. 
Even though you know it is your own desires that got you into this mess. That you moved and operated outside the timing of God. And now you want something you ain't supposed to want. Come on, somebody. Now you desire something you ain't supposed to desire. Hello, somebody. And you're crying out because you can't have what you want. Hello, somebody. And the, and the father stops everything he's doing to come and soothe and comfort you. And I don't see nobody complain. Huh? Now I can see if my baby wanted crack. He don't. I can see if he wanted candy. He don't. I can see if he wanted juice. He don't. If he want an ink pen, no. And I've stood by and let him have a tantrum, temp, temper tantrum for everything he wants. But what he ain't going to have a temper tantrum for is me and his mama. Anytime he want me or his mama, guess what he get? Me or his mama. Because that's what being a good parent means. If all you want is me, that's exactly what you get because that's the habit I want to keep in your life. Come on, y'all don't want to play fair today. Now, well, the truth is he wants a whole bunch of other stuff. But since he can't have that, can I just have you? And that just make it all right. Come on, somebody. That just make it all right. That just makes it all right. And y'all don't want to do this. Y'all don't want to just let him stop everything. You want to just figure out how to get what you want and just make it so you can get it. Or, or just whatever to wait on it. And I just wait with an attitude. And I wait depressed. And I wait sad. And I, and I wait in pain. And, and then you just hold it all in when all you really need is a comforter. You just need a comforter. We know you made this mess. But it's all right. If all you want is, is the father, you can have the father. And watch how he calms you down. You ain't even get what you wanted. You didn't get the toy, you didn't get the food, you didn't get the snack, you didn't get the juice, you didn't get the water, you didn't get the relationship, you didn't get the job, you didn't get the money, you didn't get the healing. All you got was him and look how you acting. Look how you acting. Huh? Oh, I sit on down, that was not my point today. So you have to move forward. Because where you're going won't look the same. Now, Simon Peter went with these three men, and they took him to the centurion's house. And when he got there, Simon went in, and the centurion soldier began to bow down and worship him. And Simon Peter said, no, 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 I'm not God. I am just man. The situation is here. He told the centurion, amen, amen that... You know I'm not supposed to be in your house because you are considered unclean. Yeah. But the father has just explained to me that whatever he makes clean, I cannot consider unclean. Now this needs to hit some of y'all in y'all sanctified spirit because you keep treating yourself as if you are an unclean individual. You participate in things and go to places and have thoughts and feelings and actions of somebody that God has not cleansed. You associate your past mistakes as if they are currently in your life after he has cleansed you. How do I know? Because you start giving up. 
You start sliding back. You start associating with this is just who I am. And maybe this is just my struggle in life. And now you begin to call unclean what God has taken the time to clean. Now this concept of calling clean what God calls clean and, and establishing that it is clean is what opens the gate because in the same story, this centurion soldier, when Peter begins to preach about Jesus and opens the Old Testament and reveals that this Jesus is the Messiah, God and creator, and he shows them that not only did we eat with him, not only did we see all these miracles that you've already heard about, he said, but, but he did, he was crucified and we crucified him. And then he raised from the dead and he showed himself to many people. And not only that, but we ate and drank with him. Me, myself, I ate and drank with him after he got up. And the centurion's mind was blown. Him and his whole household listened to this story. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they began to speak in tongues. This is a non-Israelite that began to speak in tongues with the, like the day of Pentecost. He was a Gentile having a day of Pentecost. Peter and everybody that was of the circumcision, the Jewish people, were astonished. They could not believe that the same gift of the Holy Spirit that God descended upon them that revealed that they were called to apostleship fell upon these Gentiles. These unclean individuals had the same gift as those who have known God forever and ever and ever and ever. The same exact gift. The same exact gift as those who walk with Christ. The same gift as those that ate with him. The same gift as those that saw him and bore his, his, saw his wounds. The same gift fell upon a bunch of Gentiles. It says those of the circumcision, Peter and his crew, were astonished. They couldn't believe. You know, that take it down a peg. So I thought we was here. And the truth of the matter, you are. But the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. We get this scripture all mixed up. We think that if you're at the bottom, you're going to go to the top, and the people at the, people at the top and go to the bottom. That's not what that means. It means that the people at the top are at the top, and the people that are at the bottom go to the top. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That's everybody's on the equal playing field. Hello? So what happened is now the Gentiles have risen, to the same place of favor as the disciples. Not just the favor, Simon, a Jew earlier, do you remember the sorcerer Simon? Tried to buy this gift and couldn't buy it. And this gift fell on Gentile people that were considered unholy, not worthy, not capable, not knowing, not smart enough, not biblical enough, not theological enough, not walking the line enough. And Peter says, um, guys, do y'all see this? Like, I'm, I'm no scientist or nothing, but I don't really know what's stopping us from baptizing them with water. Now, look at this. 
In your theology, in your mind, you feel that baptism with water has to happen before baptism of the Holy Ghost. And this shatters that. The Gentiles were baptized by the Spirit of God and then were baptized by water. See, what happened is baptizing, baptism in water is a public declaration. It's for everybody to know that something has happened on the inside. But now these individuals were baptized by the Spirit of God on the inside. It was apparent as they spoke in tongues on the outside. So what difference does it make if we baptize them in water or not? They've already been baptized by God himself. So let's go through the ceremony to make sure they are included in the church. Because apparently God said so. This was something that no one ever saw. So when Peter and his folks went back to Jerusalem, you know they had a problem. The Jews contended with Peter. You went into some non-Jewish people's house. You followed them. You ate with them. You slept with them. You know, in, in, like in, in their house, not sexually. sexually. You got to make it plain these days. You did all, you was all, you know, we're not even supposed, that's unclean, you're not supposed to. And Peter said, listen, let me tell you something. And he told him the whole story. The next part of the chapter is he told him from top to bottom. And so they said, for real? For real. I guess God wants the Gentiles too. And he does. And this concept of God making disciples of nations began to hit them like, oh, up until this point, they only ministered to Jews. This act began to open the door for Gentiles to actually come into the kingdom of God. So later when Peter argues with different different Jews about why Gentiles should be in the kingdom of God, this is the example. They were baptized with the same Holy Spirit in the same manner, never knowing that that's what happened to us. It happened to them. The kingdom is for every nation. The kingdom is for every nation. Peter continues on his journeys and he goes on, he goes to other places and, and it says that some of the disciples that ran when Stephen was martyred in chapter 11, they went to Cyprus and, and other, uh, other nations and they were only preaching to the Jews. But then some of the Gentiles, the, some of the Jewish people from Cyprus and different uh, countries were preaching to the Jews, but they themselves were from that area so they began to preach to the Greeks. And then Greeks, the Hellenists, began to get saved and come into the kingdom of God. The same Hellenists that, that persecuted earlier, the earlier part of Acts, now are coming into the faith. Now we've got Greeks, we've got Romans, we've got Italians, we've got Jewish people. This thing is like going berserk, okay? Everybody is becoming a disciple no matter their nationality. And this was unheard of. Yeah. All right, so as we close today, you know why you got to get up. Let's talk about making you a hero. I'm going to use a couple of quotes from Grant Skeldon, who wrote a book on passion. How many people have heard of the book, uh, The Thousand Faces of a Hero? No? Okay. Well, Atlanta being the production capital that it has become, <laughs> A Face of a Thousand Heroes is a book written back in the 60s, I think, um, and it pretty much... Walt Disney, Fox, anybody and everybody that makes movies, movies that we love, 
get the basis of these storylines from this, this book, a, a Thousand Faces of a Hero. And it pretty much shows you the, the making of heroes in narratives. But this, this book emphasizes some of the, of the psychology and life experiences of humanity that changes people. Okay? So a lot of the movies that we love have this concept. And, and, and the, the plot line goes something like, uh, uh, it involves some young person that knows he is different and he must do something with his difference, something that will help others, right? But then he encounters challenges and obstacles that hinder him with the feelings of inadequacy. He wants to become who he's meant to be, but his abilities lag behind the call. He needs help. So enters the sage, a mentor who comes alongside our budding hero to ensure he becomes the hero. This is the plot line for every single movie that we love. You see it with Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. You see it with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker. You see it with Morpheus and Neo, Professor X and Wolverine, Gandalf and Frodo, Morpheus and Neo and Maui and Moana. And all the movies that warm our hearts and touch us, there's some young person who knows that they are different and that they need to use this difference to help others. And when they go to do it, they are faced with some problem that reveals how inadequate and insufficient they are at actually helping others with their difference. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody ever been there? And so in this point of, okay, maybe I can't do it. Maybe I don't have what it takes. Enter some wise person <laughs> that decides to walk alongside this budding young hero that sees that they are different and that they need to use this difference to, for good in helping others. And their relationship, this wise sage, is called upon to assist this budding hero in the transformation that is necessary to make them a hero. This is the story of your life. I don't think you want to, you don't want to play fair today. This is the story of your life. It is a story of humanity and the ideals that God had when man fell and how man was going to be redeemed. This is the story of your life that you are different than the world and those differences should be used to help people and when you try to do it, you sink and you fail at it and you come to recognize all of your insufficiencies and inadequacies and why you can't seem to actually do and become who you're really supposed to be and what you're really supposed to do. And it's at this juncture in your life that God will send someone to help walk beside you and assist you in this transformation. And he, all he tells you is to go with them and doubt nothing. Follow them. You know, Christ's ministry didn't become famous. Nobody knew of him. No one even heard the story of Jesus didn't really become popular until he made disciples. He was still the son of God. Little baby Jesus, little teenage Jesus, little adolescent Jesus, adult Jesus. 
But it wasn't until he actually made disciples did his story begin. What if I told you that the reason you're bored with Christianity, the reason you have to add fake drama, is because you are not a disciple and you are not making disciples. You are not a disciple and you are not making disciples. And there is this insatiable, insatiable need to become better and become who you're supposed to be. And you keep running into the ceiling of your inadequacies, running into the ceiling of your failures, running into the field ceilings of your problems, the ceilings of your emotions, the ceilings of your past, the ceilings of your depressions, the ceilings of your finances. You keep running into these ceilings with no assistance on your transformation. From time to time, you just give up. Then giving up goes too low. Okay, I can't give up. <laughs> okay, I'm giving up again. Okay, and you just keep doing this up and down, up and down. But I wonder if God could send you someone who could walk beside you, who would be committed to ensure that your transformation is complete. Do you know these people are called pastors? I had the privilege of sitting down with Brother Casey the other day. A couple weeks ago, he, he called me and he, and he said, Pastor, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I want to apologize for not being more open and transparent about things when the last time we talked. And I don't know, I just feel like I should be more open with you. Now, he doesn't know that he's giving me code for disciple me. He doesn't know that, okay? He doesn't know that that's cold. His spirit man's like, hey, we keep doing the same thing and we really need to be up higher and go further and we're not going to go at this rate. Help us. So I said, sure, Casey, it's not a problem. Listen, I just want to spend some time with you. Why don't we go hang out this day? He says, sure, not a problem. Oh, I had to work. Oh, my, my mama had a cold. Oh, uh, something, 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 something. And to be honest with you, if you ain't for it, I ain't for it. I ain't motivated unless I see desperation in your eyes. If I see somebody say, oh, pastor, please, I'm on my way. But if you could take it or leave it, I could definitely leave it. But to be honest, I got so much to do. If you're not really putting a, an earnest pull on my spirit, man, like I really need this, you'll be all right. Next. <laughs> It's real truth. So he didn't know he was giving me code for disciple me. I was like, Casey, let me tell you up front, this is what we're going to do. I'm about to be in your life. You about to be in my life. Come to my house, meet my dogs. That's my whole family right there. Meet my two dogs. This is my furry family I made up. This is me. This is where I live. We're going to do this a lot. Me and you, we're going to hang out. Now, since he's a guy, I'm not stupid. I can't hang out with guys by myself. So for most part, we're going to have to people have people around or we're going to have to be in public place. But luckily, people are at my house, so come on by. We're going to do this. He's like, do what? This. He's like, but Pastor, like, what do I do? Like, I don't really know what I do with you. Like, what do I, what do, I do with myself? Casey, we just, we just chill. Do we like, do we read the Bible? Sometimes. We just do stuff. And he's having a hard time swallowing the concept that this discipleship means that we do life together. That you come into my life and I'm in your life. Your problems are my problems. Your successes are my successes. Hello, somebody. 
I want to know the big, the bad, the small, the ugly, all of it. You're never overwhelming me. You're never too much. You don't, we, we, we just made a bond. Us, me and you. This is it. We're going down like this. I'm that person. When you build your family and your wife, she's going to have to get approved by me. That's perfectly fine. Your babies, they're going to become my babies. It's just, just going to be a thing. It's going to be you, God, your wife, your kids, and pastor. And everybody's going to know that pastor is somehow this weird personal friend and family member and also our pastor. That's how it works. And it's like, oh, that's Sierra, her kids, and her pastor. <laughs> oh, that's Lakeisha, Kayla, and they pastor. And it's just, it just, it just, who's that? That's just they pastor. Oh, she's real sweet. They don't know that this is not me trying to fulfill a pastoral role. They don't recognize that I'm really in your family. <laughs> like, oh, she's such a good pastor. Look at her coming to the graduations. <laughs> Uh, that's my family. Of course I'm going to my baby's graduation. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm going to my baby's thing. And it's my baby's too. <laughs> you done lost your mind. Right? So you didn't recognize that this would not. The issue here is that you are bored with Christianity because you are not being discipled and you're not making disciples. Christ says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishermen of men. Let's look at this for just a second. The spiritual sage that comes into the narrative of this young hero's life always comes and disrupts the story of this hero. He changes everything and he ignites a completely different story. When the wise sage comes into your budding hero life, you had an idea of yourself. You had a concept of where you were going to go. And all of a sudden, you meet this curly-haired, brown-skinned pastor. Female, be that much, okay? And she comes in your life, and every concept you had about yourself begins to slowly deteriorate as you become this new sanctified individual that you can't even fathom how you're supposed to live with such a high standard, and yet you're trying to do it nonetheless. And you're like, is this really supposed to be me? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? This seems so foreign to me. They be thinking, come on, self, get you. you're supposed to know yourself. Are you? You're supposed to have a sense of identity. Do you? You're supposed to be able to handle your storyline. No, you can't. Because you were born to be a hero. And they have to be made. They have to be made. They have to be made. They're not organically done. You know, the word organic means you don't really touch it. You just let it grow on its own. Hello? Now, you don't really add nothing to it. Hello? Now, do you really want that? You want to be organic Christianity? Or do you want a made hero? And to the men and the women of this house, you are members of Renew because you were destined to be made a hero. Don't act like you don't know it. Don't act like you don't feel it. Don't sit there with that false humility. So I guess you're thinking, am I supposed to be feeling this too? Yes, you are. Greg and, and uh, what's it, 
Brazil, you were supposed to be feeling it too. I think I was supposed to be made to be a hero. I always knew it was something different about me. I always knew I was supposed to do something great with my life. I always knew. What you stumbled upon here is a unique church that we take discipleship seriously. Hello, somebody. I tell people when you join Renew, I pastor closely. That is my leadership style. What I'm really saying is I believe in making disciples. Now, a lot of people sit in my church and they never really embark on that discipleship. They come to church because it's their moral responsibility and duty. They come because they need an encouraging word and like a motivational speech to get them throughout the day, throughout the week. That's fine. I don't mind that. The Bible is good for all kinds of stuff. That's fine. But in order to be called a Christian, which is what happens in chapter 11 of Acts, the first time the people were ever called Christians was at Antioch, where a ton of Greeks were saved. Is that Christians were followers of Christ. And Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, which means your making of a hero is not independent of someone else. But a wise sage must enter your life and disrupt your storyline. And the reason why so many Christians are bored with Christianity is because they don't have enough angst. Which is another way of saying they're not forced to give up anything. Now, when you think about it, all the drama you add to your life is just ways to get you to give up something. Give up your self-respect. Give up your health. I done told you to stop vaping 50 million times. Then told you it is inevitable for you to vape this much and not have lung and cancer problems when you get older. And you still, all you're doing is adding drama to your own life. It's not possible. That's like me taking a little bit of bleach every day thinking I'm not deteriorating my insides. I can preach about it and preach about it. You still be like, Pastor God, go on your patio and smoke. I ain't going to say no. That's your prerogative. You, oh, I should say no. I don't. I'm not, I'm not here to force anything on you. But I don't want to constantly show you the truth. You want to add drama to your life. You want to add some contention, some conflict. And the reason you're bored is because you're not being forced to give up anything. When I got to give up something, my life is so far from boring. I got to give up my health. I got to give up my time. I got to give up my m Hello, somebody. I am not bored. I am just trying to get everything done that needs to be done. Okay, I am definitely not bored. Anybody look at my life go, her life is not boring. It's like something always happening. Good things, bad things, horrible things. It's always something. Mama G looked at my life and go, when is the Lord going to give you a break? He doesn't. <laughs> but I'm definitely not bored. You don't have any angst. You have not been following to the point where the sage tells you to give up something, you give it up, and that becomes your drama. And I'm good at it. I tell you to give up this, this, and this. Is that too much? No. 
Now you got five areas of drama. But you're so used to having five areas of drama in your life anyway, why not have five areas of drama that's making you a hero? You're supposed to be a hero. You know it, and I know it. And you keep trying to make yourself regular. You keep trying to make yourself average. And then when people impose that upon you, you want to have, have an attitude about it. In Matthew 4, 19 through 20, write that down. Meditate on it all this week. Then he, Jesus, said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The marks of discipleship have three separate entities. One, follow me. That means you join my life. Everybody in the church knows that pastor's life is a dog on open book, and it is ridiculous. But I tell people to follow me. I don't have any secret things. There's no secret room in my house, no secret drawer in my house. There's no <laughs> none of that. Hello? If I say go upstairs and get this, go upstairs and get that, I'm not going to be like, well, don't look in this drawer. <laughs> doesn't exist. My life is an open book, and I can do this because I don't have any kids and I don't have a husband. Now, if I had to share my life with someone else, that would be uniquely different. <laughs> you have to respect that other person in your children's space. But I can live and disciple as I will, right? But the idea here where he says, follow me, that's like saying, join my life. Live as I live. Go where I go. And when you see Christ make disciples, this is what he did. It was not a calendar appointment. Discipleship isn't something you pencil in. It happens whenever the disciple is ready to disciple. Make sense? Hey, what you doing tomorrow? You want to come hang out? The correct answer is, if you say, oh, well, I was going to kind of duly noted. Can you imagine if Jesus said, hey, Peter, you want to come with me up to the mountaintop? Mm, you know, I just don't know about that today. I, I plan on washing clothes and, and uh, you know, getting some stuff together. You know, I had to get in some overtime. And miss the whole Mount of Transfiguration moment. Jesus never told his disciples what they would encounter. They just had to be where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there. Hello, somebody. And so many times I'm like, so you coming by today? Oh, no, I'm not going to come by. I got to, uh, I don't know what to tell you. I don't expect anything to go down, but what if it did? How many times have I said, hey, you want to go have dinner, Minister Monifa? Oh, 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 oh. This is before Mother Allie passed. So you have to add drama to your life because you're really not being a disciple and you're not making disciples. And I talked to God about this. I said, Lord, okay, so let's divide the church into people that need to be more disciply and people that are ready to make disciples. I was like, all right, let me run down a list of those that are ready to make disciples. And we're gonna make disciples. Now, as I, as I tried to run down this list, I, I, was, I was concerned because I had a hard time identifying those that I have discipled, that have followed me in every way of my life, that actually are ready. So if in case I missed you, 
Could you stand up for me, please? Because I need to put you in the right category. See, now we got a problem. Because Christianity is discipleship. It's not church going. It's following. It's join me in my life, and I join you in your life. And I get front row seat of all the good, the bad, and the ugly. I get front row seat. Pastor, I messed up again. Yes, you did. That was terrible. <laughs> Horrible. What were you thinking? What am I going to do? I don't know, but we'll figure something out. Let's meet up tomorrow. <laughs> Pastor, this great thing happened. That's a great thing. Let's get ready for the next one. <laughs> Number two marks of discipleship is follow me. That means join me in my life. Number two is I will make you. There's a commitment in discipleship that someone is committed to making you someone new. This is the hiccup I have for most of my strong believers is that you never want to be made new. So I have to wrestle with you to iron out some of your problems. So we can't really have full following because I'm constantly pulling on you and I shouldn't have to pull on you. Do you understand? Follow doesn't mean pull. So areas of theology and doctrine and teaching that I need you to look at, areas of life and leadership, we wrestle, we differ, and we won't come to an agreement, primarily because you won't follow. Hello? So while you know the Bible and you know the word of God and you live a pretty righteous life, you don't have much sin in your life or anything like that, and you got a typical inside problems as any other human, you still don't follow. And a follower, a disciple, cannot disciple other people unless they know how to follow. Amen. You can be respectful, but you don't follow. You know how people say, I respectfully decline. We respectfully agree to disagree. It's all respectful, but you're still not going in the same direction as me. You just respectfully chose not to. That's not the same thing. Hello, somebody. There are certain choices you're going to have to go this way in order to bring up a whole bunch of people that also need to go this way. Your way is not going to be the way. If it was, then God would have made you the pastor since he did not follow. One day he might. I'm all for that, but it's definitely not today. Amen? Amen. So you get someone that is committed to make you different, no. to make you better, no. to make you someone no. who? No. Okay, this is what Jesus said. I'm going to make you fishermen of men. I'm committed to that. Yes? And the part three is the fishers of men. The second mark of discipleship is that it doesn't stop with you. Once you learn to follow, then you're required to get somebody else to follow you. I didn't say an option. I didn't say a calling. Your calling to salvation was this. Remember, there's no difference between Christianity and discipleship. This is your call to make another disciple. There should be somebody that you're spending time with that is doing life with you, that is watching you and how you live. And right now, some of y'all butt cheeks got real tight because you don't want to see certain things. All the more reason why you need to follow a little closely, a little bit more closely, because you got too many skeletons in your closet. 
and it does not exempt you from the fact that you're supposed to be making disciples. Someone's supposed to be calling you with problems and prayer concerns and theological questions and questions about God. And you're supposed to invite them to go grocery shopping and go to the park with your kids and, and maybe go on vacation with you. And you're supposed to go to the house and listen to all their problems and, and see what's going on. And when they're sick, you're supposed to be there. When they're celebrating something, you're supposed to be there. And when they're angry and upset, upset, you're supposed to be there. And when they got problems in their family, you're supposed to help hear them out. And every day 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 that they need you, you're supposed to be there as you show them the way to Christ. Because you are a hero. You were born to be a hero to somebody else. And you keep trying to shuck off the responsibility. And the world is making it so easy for you to feel like just me and mine. Let me just worry about me and my, my, my set, my family, my group, who I roll with, who I fool up with, who I don't, me and mine. But you are different. Things bother you because you are supposed to be a hero. You can't let certain things go because you are supposed to be a hero. You keep having this visionary moment because you are supposed to be a hero. You keep expecting bigger and greater because you are supposed to be a hero. You keep pulling for that underdog and being there for them when everybody want to drop them cold turkey because you were born to be a hero. So take up your call and quit being a punk about it. You were called to be a hero. You keep trying to make it go away. It's not. But I am here to transform you. By the spirit of God to make you someone new. The version of you that has hero status written all over it. Where people will come to your funeral and they say, this individual was used by God to save my life. They're supposed to say, I don't know where I'd be without him. I don't know where I'd be without her. They're supposed to say it. And some of you know this, you've seen it, but you failed at it so miserably that you don't want to accept it anymore. That's not my problem, punk. Muscle up. There you go. Muscle up, buttercup. Let's get locked and loaded. Quit making excuses. Learn to follow. And then grab somebody else. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to implement this today, standing all over the house.